Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's Dave Tuttle and the Astros' master of banter, Blummer. Yeah, today's a good day. Bleacher Blums is back at you. I am Jeff Blum. My co-host across the way is David Tuttle out there on the left coast, and we are repping. Well, I'm repping, I'm repping Blums. I've got my Bleacher Blums t-shirt. If you're on the audio podcast, I've got my red Bleacher Blums 2020 shirt on. We lost uh, we lost the, uh, the vote by landslide, so to speak, but uh, <laughs> we can still get up and down the stairs, and I guess that's all that matters because we're ex-professional athletes. Um, and Tuttle's got his Waddle Tuttle shirt on today, repping that. Of obviously, Ram Shirts is a big friend of the Bleacher Blums podcast, and this is kind of a it's kind of a big week. I mean, we talked about um, uh, the the March Madness that's going on, and I even it, it got to the point where I tweeted out even how awful that first couple of rounds was for brackets. And I haven't seen the stats on, you know, how many brackets are left, if anybody's even got this thing right. But I wouldn't be surprised if it just wiped out 99% of brackets early on. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, we're going to we're gonna follow up on the minor league uh, rules that have uh, popped into place because we promised that. There's big news in Astroland because Lance McCullers has reportedly signed an extension, which leads to the question, will Correa sign an extension? Because those guys are boys that came up together. And uh, maybe it's maybe it's trending in that direction. I've got a couple of things on Blum's blasts, uh, which one of them's funny. The other one, I guess, can be funny, but it's it's terrible at the same time because I highly unrecommend it. But for the time being, Tuttle, you are you are the bracketologist, uh, and I don't know if you can see it. If I can get it close enough to the camera uh, here on yeah, the Social Nostra Network. But yeah. there's a lot of marks in that first round. Yeah. And I got hammered in that first round, dude. I mean, I've only got, what are we in? We're in the Sweet 16, correct? That's going to start yes. on the 27th and 28th, I believe. Yep, this weekend. Okay. I'm glad you're here for my scheduling questions. And I've That's got right. Gonzaga, Michigan, Alabama, Baylor, Villanova, and University of Houston. That's all I've got left. How's your bracket doing, dude? Um, you know what? I, I think I'm probably in the same boat. The difference is, and I went on record last podcast saying Illinois was my team and they, uh, they got beat. Oh um, I did remember Loyola Chicago is, uh, is a good squad and you know, they have the sister Jean. mother Mary or whatever. And that guy, that guy is a really good coach and that's a good team. And I thought when they got down, they were in trouble, but I think what I try again, voice of reason on the podcast, I don't know how it works out bummer, <laughs> but, uh, what I try and remember is like the first weekend's the fun weekend and you can bet on individual games. And I actually picked some of the upsets in terms of like, nice. I had UCLA going to the sweet 16. Yeah. You did call them early. So, yeah. So I had them beating Michigan state. Cause remember I said 98% of the money was on Michigan state. So you got to go the other way. So UCLA mm -hmm. had winning a couple games. I don't think I had them winning again. I, you know, I, I had them losing to Texas probably. And that was Abilene Christian ended up getting there and then they <sighs> beat them. So I don't want to sound like a soothsayer, but I had a couple things that I picked, but I think the teams that, um, you know, aside from the Illinois and the Iowa States, I have Alabama, Gonzaga, Baylor. Mm -hmm. I have all those teams and so does everybody else. And I think when you talk about the bracket blowing up, if you're really trying to win your bracket, you got to kind of fade the public. Yeah. It's going to narrow down, yeah. but you got to go with the team. That's why I picked Illinois. Cause if me and you both did the bracket and we both had uh, Gonzaga winning, True. then then what's the point? And I actually think the Zags are, I don't know if you got to watch them play. They've got three really, really solid players, but man, I, I don't see anybody beating them. And uh, you know, I don't know if I said that last week, I was mm -hmm. just going to take a team that I thought would be um, not Baylor and not Gonzaga, but I think the brackets definitely blew up for, um, you know, for some of the two seeds, right? Illinois yeah. are, and uh, Illinois was a one seed, excuse me, Ohio state, but I, I don't think, you know, and then obviously you being in Houston, I mean, Texas, Ooh, it was such a you know heartbreaker that Texas lost to another Texas team. How mm -hmm. Abilene Christian, I saw the horns down. I wonder if there was any sort of uh, repercussion from that. I thought they outlawed that. I don't know. Anyway, I, uh, it just means we I won't just, hear from Matthew McConaughey for a while. There you go. 
I just, yeah, darn it. Yeah. Uh, shucks. Oh, shucks. But I, you know, again, you know, just without just rambling on, I just was going to say, I don't think there's always that kind of the madness part, which mm-hmm. I like, but I think when you look at, when you shake it out. So last year, there was no tournament. There was no March madness this year. Gosh. There've been a couple upsets, you know, and there always are a couple upsets. And I think the bubble affected teams differently. It wasn't a normal year for some of those teams. So, um, so I, you know, it, I think all of that could be expected as long as we see Alabama, Gonzaga, Baylor, and Michigan, you know, because ultimately that's or what's happen. I think everyone's going to be like, all right, you know, the best teams are there. Oh, the biggest surprise was the Pac 12. You're an ex Pac 12. I, I, I was going to say that too, man. You're right because every tournament you're going, oh, great. The Pac 12's 0 and 6. They're just going to bury that, you know, and all of a sudden this year, of all years, they're getting after it. So Oregon got two guys yeah. healthy. And then, um, and then, you know, I think they have a chance to, you know, obviously move to the elite eight, like everybody does, but man, if you just, if you look at the teams that are left, there's going to be, mm-hmm. um, I think the teams that we expected standing, which is what we said about baseball last year, right? Oh, yeah. The Dodgers and the, yeah. you know, the devil rays were the two, the rays had the two best win. records. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Winners win. And if you have a record to show it, like we said, the Dodgers and the Rays had the two best mm-hmm. records in ma- baseball, right? So carry that over with this, right? Gonzaga's True. undefeated. Baylor has a bunch of grown men playing basketball. They, God, they do. I, did I say this last time? Baylor, maybe I said this to someone else. Baylor reminds me of UNLV back in the day. No, you said that on the last podcast. And I, oh, okay, I, I good. agree okay. with you because like Larry Johnson, you know, is jacked yeah. and they've got a couple guys on yeah. the Baylor team that are just... They're just full-grown yeah. men pushing people yeah. around. Yeah, so that was the first, that's who they remind me of. Mm-hmm. The comp for them is like the UNLV team. So you know, those are the teams, and they're going to be there at the end. And uh, you know, and I like Alabama. I mean, if they play good, yeah. Time. So yeah, it's been so exciting. all the madness, the bracketastrophe, all the things that we discussed. <laughs> I think uh, you know, I'm here to calm everybody down. You know, yes, I yeah. lost some games, and yes, Illinois is out, and that was my team. Who did you have winning at all, Blummer? Do you have Gonzaga? I went with Gonzaga. You know, yeah, for you whatever reason, I can't, get the, I can't get the, but also I can't get the West Coast out of me. You know, I, I am such a biased fool when it comes to these things that I'm just like, Gonzaga. And I want to be the guy that's like, look, I picked Gonzaga, which is, you know, literally 98% of the country probably picked them too. But at the same time, I can't believe, you know, the Cougars, the Houston Cougars are playing extremely well. So I, I'm fired up on that. They're, they're uh, this one which is also oh, yeah. a sign for something else, but what, yeah. but uh, yeah, that's a whole nother, whole nother episode that I would have to uh, censor. Uh, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in, I don't know what it is. If I'm like, so I'm loyal to a fault, but I'm just like a West coast and local, local guy. But I jumped on the UH bandwagon just because I like Kelvin Sampson. I like the way he, uh, he runs that ball club. I also like the idea of like, we talked about it last podcast being those mid major teams where you know they're in a they're in a tough conference, but they're not in a great conference, and then they overachieve. And we always kind of look for that overachiever uh, to go out there and do some stuff. So it's been a kind of fun yeah. in that sense. But the excitement of the first two rounds is what blew me away. Like you could feel the energy sitting in your room or sitting in your house watching it on TV because now even my girls were like, "Is this the tournament?" You know, and you start to see fans and families and the cutaways to the to the seats, and all of a sudden you're going man, this is really happening. I, I felt pretty excited about it. I, I'm with you. And I think that's the live sports. We've talked about it extensively yeah. on this podcast. I mean, my wife will watch the end of the Masters, you know, the holes 15, 16, Love 17, it. 18 on Sunday. Like mm-hmm. she's not into golf at all for one, not really into sports except like the Olympics and things like that. And I'll tell you what, I felt the same way with the March Madness watching even Illinois, the team that I chose is down eight or 10 with 13 minutes left and they got it to six and then it went back to 10 or 11. And you're thinking, gosh, if Illinois is going to make a run, they got to do it now. And I think you had texted me during that game that they just had no chance. Um, I mean, there was just never a crack, I guess is what I was saying. And then watching Alabama play, they look good. And as you said, the excitement and the, you know, just the intensity of those games, even the play in game I watched with UCLA, Michigan state was, Boy, it went into overtime. Michigan yeah. State's up five or six with a couple minutes left, and they blew it. And, uh, you know, it's just a really – it's a great time of year, and we missed it mm. last year. And I think, again, um, the optimism is high because I think we do see uh, some hope here for finishing up March Madness like it always does uh, on that great Monday night with one shining moment. And then what, what happens next? Spring training's over and baseball starts. And now 
We're we gonna have it because one week. Stands, we think. Next next time we we record this podcast, it will be opening day. I will record our podcast and I will shoot over to the studio to okay. call opening day on April first. So that's kind of where I was I was going to head to. Is you know I got tightened up yesterday to make yeah, sure that yeah. everything's right, and we'll, we'll test yeah. it out on a broadcast on the twenty fifth and twenty ninth. <laughs> And then by the time April 1st rolls around, we'll be ready to go for a live sporting event. The only, the only thing as excited as I am about opening day, I am, I'm thoroughly annoyed that I have to do it from a studio because I'm going to yeah. show up amped me and TK and Julia are going to share notes. We're going to talk about storylines with our producer and Hey, don't you look, you know, cool outfit or cool tie. Yeah, there we go, guys. We get to do a full season yeah. and all of a sudden we're going to show up in a studio and it's yeah. going to be dead. It is going to be absolutely dead. And as, as happy as I am to broadcast games and as much as I appreciate people like you who watch us and fans who listen to our podcast, watch the broadcast, and they say, man, we really can't tell the difference. I appreciate that, but I yeah. want you to know how much it sucks. Yeah. I can <laughs> tell the difference, Blummer. Who tells you they can't tell it? No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Uh, you, your spotter and your producer will be there still. Those guys, come on. They'll be in yeah, the studio. Yeah, they'll be tucked away in another corner. Julie will yeah. be in a corner of the studio. I'll be I'll yeah. be in my bubble in behind a desk. Yeah. And when they say, play ball, we're going to hear this. Yeah. Nothing. I can't wait. And, yeah, but that, that, <laughs> I was to say, we're still on. You're on. I'm on. Um, yeah, you're going to get the finger. You're going to get the countdown, and then you're going to get the point. Yeah. You're going to be like, go. And you're like, here we are, opening day in the middle of a studio with no fans. Super exciting. Yeah. You know, that you might know, be the one time I might be jealous of not being at Oakland Coliseum. Yeah, you know, I, I like that you – yeah, there you go, with the drum beat in left field. <laughs> I, uh, I think that's great. The, you, you really bring up an interesting point, and I think it's uh, it's it's nice to hear. It's refreshing because, you know, every, every job has its kind of um, – I don't know, inane things, or you guys travel a lot. And, you know, I mean, there's, there's just things that you don't think about when, you know, Hey, I'd, I'd love to be the Astros broadcaster, but I think the live feed and the live interaction is something, unless you've been up in the booth, you don't understand because, you know, I go visit you in Anaheim and, you know, the fans will look up at you or, you know, they'll wave or, mm -hmm. you know, there's people that, you know, there is some sort of interaction, but also the smell and the feel of the game. And you really do get a good sense. I think the I, I think that's something that, that it's really uh, important to share because I think that that kind of, it, it's not just the energy you get, but you can get a feel for the game. You know, I think that, yes. uh, you know, right. You, you get a feel for the game and we were just talking about March madness, even without the fans on TV, you still have a good feel, but I think there's nothing like being there in person um, and getting the, uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, we, we went to a meaningless game in Anaheim a couple of years ago, and then you go to a game where there's a lot of meaning to it and the fans mm -hmm. are different and the atmosphere is different. And I think you guys can, you know, feed off that regardless, like positive or negative. So it takes a lot more internal um, energy and a lot more internal gusto to kind of, like you said, do it from the studio. And I think hopefully there's some progress that's made, you know, throughout the season there. Do you have any sort of uh, timeline or do you have any sort of idea about what it's supposed to look like? You know what? It's actually an interesting point. And, and just to kind of piggyback off what you were saying, because I think you articulated it perfectly when you said you got up in the booth and even, in, you know, just an inane game in the middle of July against the angels, you know, you can sense the momentum shift in a game. You can sense how the pitcher's feeling or what, you know, way things are going and I don't, I, I hate the idea of forcing something. And, you know, Julia, I talked to Julia and TK yesterday, and she said something that was kind of interesting. You know, we're, we're not, we're not uh, pre, we're not production studio talent. We are live entertainment studio, you know, live entertainment talent. So we, we react, we respond, you know, there, there is that interaction, even though it may not be face to face, we are interacting with the, the emotion of the game in a live format, as opposed to being in a, in a studio where our producer cuts to a, you know, cuts to a weather girl or cuts to the traffic person, you know, it, there's a, there's a certain thing about that. And they don't have, you know, studio talent doesn't have to force anything, a pre and post show, they don't have to force anything. It's just what they do. If we are a live entertainment group and we're broadcasting off a of TV, we have to force energy. And I don't, that's what I fear is that sometimes we sound like we force energy and that's where you, things get lost a little bit. What the heck did you ask me? No, no, I didn't. I, I, I was just saying, is there? No, 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 it's great. And I had a, a comeback to that. But uh, I asked you about the 
the timeline, like what it's going to look like. Do you know how many oh, studio games are you going to do? Yeah. All studio games. Yeah. Is there a, a plan of attack, I guess? So as I'm getting mentally prepared to do 81 games out of the studio, unfortunately. That obviously could change. I think a lot of these things are fluid, but everything I've been told from the network is that we are not going to travel. And you can... Yeah. You can blame it on risk, which is easy to do, obviously, with the COVID situation. But here in Texas, um, a, a American adult, Texas adults in Texas can, as of March 29th, can go get the vaccine. Just go. So there's that opportunity. And then I believe it was President Biden that said uh, May 1st, everybody across America will have access to it. And then I read a couple of reports, uh, you know, through... Uh, some got some people who write for Major League Baseball said, you know, teams are encouraging. They're not going to jump the line. They're not going to ask for preferential treatment, but they're going to encourage their, their their teams and their players to go get vaccinated and obviously their families, too, which would probably increase the opportunity for bigger crowds and maybe increase the opportunity for guys like myself and TK and uh, for sideline reporters like Julia to be able to travel eventually someday. But as of this moment, uh, what are we at? Uh, the 25th, March 25th uh, is when we're recording this podcast. They are not planning on letting uh, broadcasters travel. But that, I yeah. believe that can all change because I think Major League Baseball has taken a little more of a proactive approach with the vaccine situation, to be honest with you. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, you'll still get 81 games, like you said, at, at Minute Maid, and that might be... Yeah. Um, you know, obviously better broadcasting at home. I also think you guys will hopefully get the benefit of the doubt because you, you brought up a really good point when you think about talent. And I know you put reels together and your agent mm -hmm. helps you do things when it's like, oh yeah, I'm going to be whatever, a Fox studio analyst, even though you're a player is a lot different than being a, you know, a color analyst out there and, uh, you know, with your feet on the ground and, you know, feet in the stadium and, and feeding off. And I think similar to this podcast, we talked about growing and learning this podcast, you know, our first two podcasts, you know, I joke about going back and listening to those. We've, I've learned how to do this just by doing it. And I think it's funny because you probably have the skill set to do either or, but you're not a studio analyst. That's not what you've been doing for the past five, seven years. You've been a color analyst there in the stadium. And I think hopefully last year gave you guys a good indicator of, you know, what the expectations are. But, you know, I think the other thing is that fans, especially your local Houston Astros fans will give you the benefit of the doubt is that they realize you'd rather be in the stadium anyway. And they're just happy and thankful to hear you and Julia and TK on the, on the call. And so you guys will get a pass from certainly from us uh, in terms of uh, <laughs> maybe if there's some shortcomings or some differences between the live game, but you know, you will get 81 games over there at Minute Maid and hopefully if yeah. they, start at 25% capacity and grow that it'll be a, it'll be a good thing. So hopefully all the rules are the same when we get out there. And I know there's the COVID <laughs> police and the, now there's more police coming for the, for the games, yeah. but. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Speaking of that, you know, Tuttle hinting at the police. Uh, I read today that major league baseball is actually going to have more people observing what teams do. Obviously with the Astros sign stealing scandal and what the Red Sox and Yankees did, has uh, brought on some attention to how teams manage the the video room. I see you. Hey. No. <laughs> yeah, he's picking my signs, bro. Yeah, so there, there's obviously- no, I'm, just, I'm just looking for substances, pine tar. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing now, is now that we've, we've tried to crack down on the sign stealing, now they are cracking down on the substance, uh, illegal substance that pitchers are using. I've been on record. I believe you've been on record. I don't care because if I, well, I almost said, said Shea Stadium, but City Field is now the the, the ballpark for uh, the, the Mets. I remember going through there in April and in September, and it'd be 25 degrees, ice cold, uh, a breeze blowing through. And I know that a guy is throwing, you know, 95 miles an hour or has this, you know, whatever wicked slider. I wanted it to be wicked. I was anticipating nasty I didn't want to have to worry about if this guy was going to drill me in the side of the coconut because he can't feel the baseball. So they're going to have this. I know they're going to have uh, monitor. They're going to have cameras everywhere, which they already do. We have a bullpen camera, but I think they're actually going to have implant people in these vicinities to make sure that they don't do this. And a lot of it goes back to what happened in Anaheim with uh, the clubhouse manager getting fired over giving out a substance, which the whole situation was ridiculous to me. And 
uh, Bubba was the, the, the equipment guy that got fired from Anaheim. One of the best in the business as far as a human being and what he, what he, what he supplied in his clubhouse, obviously, but he, he was a great dude. And I think that was just a complete farce, but uh, there's going to be a little more proctoring uh, of, of illegal substances. I'm curious because I was a guy that had pine tar inside my glove as an infielder to help me yeah. keep the ball in my glove. I wonder if they're going to be checking position players too. And if you watch, I mean, I, I don't want to throw catchers under the bus, but catchers usually have it on them somewhere too. Yeah. You know, I think you bring up a good point. We have talked about it on the podcast. I, I mean, I think there's like with most things, there's a line, right? So you have a little pine tar and maybe some pitchers love the fact that they're third baseman. <laughs> hey, Blummer's playing third today. He's got pine tar in his glove. And, you know, I know they throw balls out constantly, but if you actually got a ball when that ball gets thrown around the horn, little pine tar, give it up to him. Yeah. So, but that's been part of the game for a long, 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 long time. And I think the difference, like when Lester Hayes played cornerback for the Raiders and he had the goop all over his hands. I love that. Yeah. I think when, when, when you're like, if you're just, you know, like you said, with the cold weather and you're, you're just getting a little tack, tacky yeah. feeling on your fingers to get a better grip of the ball. Well, when you're throwing 97, which you just stated, I mean, uh, hitters and pitchers alike will appreciate that. Um, now, if you're putting, you know, I know guys, gosh, I remember playing winter ball and guys would really get the ball in the dirt or the mud and the grass and try and get a little splotch or a scrape on the side and just that's a lost the art these start. days yeah so that's a lost art too that's right because they just chuck the ball out anytime it goes in the dirt I so know. i guess the point is is that there's a line there right like you yes you want the pitcher to have a substance so that he can um, be accurate and effective with you know his slider's nasty anyway. I mean, but you also don't want the ball to knuckle or do things that it's not supposed to do based on, you know, it's oblong now, or it's, you know, odd shaped or something like that. Yeah. So I think, I think like anything else, I mean, you know, sunblock and pine tar and all the stuff, if it's helping get a better grip and more consistency, I think it's fine. There is like, we just said a line that they can cross and it just depends on what the police are going to be looking for. So. Yeah, don't do what uh, Pineda did a couple years ago and have it literally like a pine tar stick on his neck, which was a little ridiculous. But uh, that is one of the rules being implemented at the big league level. And I think that uh, in the minor leagues, they're actually pushing some crazier rules, which is kind of astonishing to me. And we hinted at it. And uh, in AAA, they're going to have a larger base. I think uh, if, I don't know how similar it's going to be to the softball game, but uh, if you remember now, softball has that orange base in foul territory, so that there's not collisions. But I don't, I don't know if I've seen too many collisions or incidents at first base that would would warrant the fact that you need a 18 inch base as opposed to 15. So I watched a little college softball a couple years ago. Do they have the orange base in call high level college softball? I don't, I don't, think, I don't so. think they do. I don't, I don't remember. Do I don't think they do I've anymore. Seen, I've seen it in youth softball, but I don't think they have that. You know, I, I, gosh, we played our arch rivals San Jose state one year. I remember, and I went to field a bunt and I, you know, I did the off off balance throw, but I got it mm -hmm. to the first baseman, but it led him in the line a little bit and he got smoked by the runner who could yeah. have avoided him too, by the way. But that's a whole nother. Yeah, I but that's not how you're taught. You're taught to go through the bag no matter what. Yeah. So anyway, and that caused a collision and it was terrible. But, you know, um, you know, both guys were okay after. And, you know, yeah, one of them that's came not out on the base. Would a bigger base have, have gotten away from yeah. that injury? I don't exactly. think so. Exactly. I so again, that's just a bigger target area. And I don't I don't know. So I I I mean, I'm gonna go as far as saying I remember in Little League. Uh, this must have been 20 years ago. Some kid got hit by a line drive, you know, and stopped his heart. Mm -hmm. And so his parents and there was a petition and they put together like a chest plate or a protector. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, these are very rare instant instances. And I mean, I think the, the catcher collisions, another good one, right? Like mm -hmm. that was actually part of the game, you know, uh, Pete Rose and, and, uh, Ray Fossey could attest to that, but, uh, not Ray Fossey, Roy. What is no, you're name? right. You're right. It was Ray yeah, Fossey. Ray. Yeah, Ray Fossey. So I just think that was part of the game for a long, 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 long time. And they got rid of it for good reason, you know, and I'm sure there's some purists similar to the DH like, man, they should still be able to knock the ball out. But I mean, when it's intentional, it's different. But I think yeah. making a bigger base so that somebody doesn't get their foot stepped on or something. I mean, how many 
again, we could do the numbers, right? How many, how, how often mm -hmm. did that happen to you in your career? And, you know, I've, I've, I was around for 20 years and I don't know if I've seen, it's horrible when it happens, but I think it's a rare occurrence. I think it's a rare occurrence too, where the, where it actually creates the opportunity for, for a fielder and a player to collide. The thing, I mean, I've seen more often than not when a guy jumps or lunges at first base and, and twists yeah. an ankle, blows an E, that's happened more than, so what are you going to do? Change the structure of the base yeah. because the guy, or yeah. say, there's no lunging at first base. You know, yeah. I mean, good grief. How far does this go? So I don't, I don't necessarily agree with this one. And I thought it was interesting too, because my first thought being a slow guy is if you, ex if you enlarge the base by three inches, all of a sudden I'm like, wait a minute. Now it's only 89, 89 feet and yeah. nine inches to get down yeah. there. Maybe, maybe I sneak an extra base hit, but listen yeah. to this. The competition well, committee. Oh, oh go yeah, ahead. go ahead. Yeah, this is, no, this is what I want to hear because I was saying, you know, a coaches forever have said, don't slide into first base and you still get to the big leagues and you see guys diving and sliding at first base. Like, so you have this written, this rule that's etched in stone and then you have still guys, some guys doing yeah. it. So anyway, anyway, I'm Instincts, curious to hear right? what their intention is. Yep. Well, the intention it, is. So I'm thinking guys will be quicker to first base. Instead of having some bang, bang plays, there's actually going to be some safe plays. The competition committee also expects the shorter distances between bases created by increased size to have a modest impact. So they're admitting it's going to have impact on the success rate of stolen base attempts and frequency at which a batter runner reaches base on ground balls or bunt attempts. So, I mean, mm. it, the, the fact that you're admitting it's going to have an impact on that part of the gameplay tells me that it shouldn't be done. So that's yeah. AAA, AA. They're doing something at every level. And yeah. I want to make a note right here, and you can attest to this too, because we talked about the dip police before we got on air, because mm. that was something kind of in our generation. Guys, mm. it may have stop some guys from doing it but not everybody stopped they're going to find a way if they want to take a dip um, but they institute rules in the minor leagues now so that when the guys who are adhering to the rules in minor leagues right now when they get to the big leagues it's not a shock to their system when these rules make it to the big leagues these guys are essentially learning it now in the minor leagues and bringing it to the big leagues with them so i find that very interesting and kind of sneaky on, yeah. uh, on on major league baseball's part so we talk about shifting and analytics all the time. In double A, the defensive team must have a minimum of four players on the infield, each of whom must have both feet completely in front of the outer boundary of the infield dirt. Depending on the preliminary results of this ex experimental rule change, Major League Baseball may require two fielders to be positioned entirely on each side of second base. So, so, so you're looking at the ball field, and the infield cutout of dirt have to have both feet on that dirt. And they're even going to think about positioning, only allowing maybe drawing a straight line from home plate to second base to center field and keeping two players on each side of that line. What do you got? All I hear is offense, offense, offense. Let's make a bigger base. <laughs> I love no it. shifts. Like I think yep. some runs will increase that way. You can't have three guys over there. You know, I don't know. I, I just, that one's a I different one. I love that one. answer, I, by the way. That's so true. That the first thing I, but the, the, all right. The first thing I thought of is offense, 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 and, you know, 89, uh, nine inches. Like you're going to beat out the balls that are all those <laughs> yeah, bang, bang plays. And now I got runners. Like, wait a second. That guy was out <laughs> last year. But the, uh, the other thing I thought of was the dimensions at ballparks. Like I remember like turf, right? Mm -hmm. There is no dirt cutout. So you have a line that's drawn. So tell me the grounds crew won't be like, all right, let's move this, this line. This is genius. Like, all right. Well, I didn't, I'm just, I'm spitballing. I'm not trying no, to be this, genius. This, so, this and, actually you know, home happens. run fences are different heights. Like the cutouts are there. So we make the grass thick. I mean, the Nolan Ryan story yes. that we told, right? Make the grass thick. So the bunt yes. sits there at Wrigley Field. This is the kind of style. We're, so all they're going to do is start fudging with the, you know, this isn't <laughs> basketball where the rim has to be 10 feet. Yep. I mean, the bases are 90 feet. Maybe you can measure that out. But if you're talking about the cutoff that, you know, they're going to make that line off center. Or they're going to push the line back or they won't have the cutouts. You know, well, we yep. just don't want cutouts. We're just going to have grass. It, I mean, it's just opening up a whole bunch of stuff where it's like, <laughs> if they want to play all nine guys on the left side and the guy doesn't want to bunt one over here and, and be safe, then, you know, then so yep. be it. But I just, I don't know. I I, I'm not it. anti the shift as many people are, but uh, just they're opening up a whole bunch of stuff because dimensions are already different in every single ballpark. 
And that's the beauty of baseball is that you can overlay every stadium and not one is going to be the same out of all 30 ballparks. And that, you know, it, it creates character. But at the same time, I know for a fact to what Tuttle is saying, groundskeepers are in on this. They will adjust, they will <laughs> they adjust the be. field for their home team. You know, yeah. the, I heard the Detroit Tigers when uh, they had Lou Whitaker and Alan Trammell up the middle, great early on, the older they got, the thicker the grass got so they could cover more ground. I mean, it's just, a, it's a fact. And like you said, you know, uh, Greg Maddox and Wrigley Field, they would drench the front in front of home plate because they're a ground ball pitcher. So that first hop, it would just yeah. die. You know, I mean, it wouldn't go anywhere. And then the foul lines were, you know, foul lines at home. If you had Kenny Lofton on your team or a Dave Roberts, they were angled just slightly towards fair territory. So if they laid down a perfect bun on the line, it would come back into fair play for those guys. I mean, this is notorious. And it just goes to the theme of substances being used by pitchers, sign stealing by hitters. I mean, it's it's the nature of the game to create an advantage. And, it, you know, they're trying to create as even a playing field as they can. But, man, some of these go a little bit yeah. too far. I, I think keeping them on the infield is, is worthwhile because – being an ex left-handed hitter and seeing the second baseman playing Rover, that, yeah, yeah. that would have taken away a ton of hits from me. I know that. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm okay with it. Like I said, the shift stuff or putting, you know, seven guys on this side, um, maybe there's a way to counteract that. Like I said, bunting more, trying to take the ball the other way, but like you well, said, it's on the, the hitter to make throwing... the adjustment, just like it's on the it pitcher is, to, but get, to not get his it, signs picked, you know, yeah, it's up it, to the hitter is, to but... make the adjustment. It is, but you know, if a pitcher's throwing 95 and all he's doing is middle in, middle in, middle in, then good luck yeah, trying tough. to take one the other way. So I think they, you know, it's almost like, you know, they're, 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 I don't know if cheating's the right word. I mean, you know, they're, they're making it very difficult. And so to your point, I think that's the one rule, like maybe having everybody on the correct side of the base or, you know, I mean, if, if you want to have the second baseman play Rover, then just have him back up in front, but then there's no guy playing second base, right? Don't put the stacked guys over there, you know, like you said, with the two guys mm -hmm. on the other side of the base. So again, I don't, I don't want to argue each little point because I don't think that that's a, that that's it. But like you said, the dimensions are different. Um, I, and I will say this too, that every team still has to play on that field. So as you yeah. said, if you went to Cleveland and Dave Roberts and, you know, and, and uh, Kenny Lofton had the base, well then, you know, you know, play that style when you oh, go you to Cleveland. It. Yeah, yeah so you, you try knew and that everything down too. was like that. Right. Or mm -hmm. try and lift one off Maddox like you would with a knuckleballer. Like, do not swing at anything, True. you know, knees and below. And if he's going to paint down there all day, then, you know, maybe you just take your uh, take your licks. But I, I think, you know, they're starting to go a little too far with some of the things that they're doing because, yeah. as you said, it kind of changes the essence of the game. And just like parenting, you know, you have four kids. I have three kids. Here are the, here are the markers. Here are the margins. And your kids kind of, they work in those margins. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we're talking about. I don't think it's illegal to soak in front of home plate. It's not illegal to have two guys on the other side of second base. Um, it is illegal to, you know, whatever, put a, you know, a whole bunch of substance on the ball or to, you know, have different mm -hmm. dimensions, you know, for, for different players and, you know, or sign stealing, those are illegal. So, I, I mean, this is an interesting dynamic we're starting to discuss. And, and then, oh, lastly, I was going to say about what you said, you know, the dip police or they're trying to institute these rules when these guys aren't part of the players association. That way, when they get there, they're already feeling a certain way. Again, like parenting, raising your kids a certain way. I mean, guys are going to do what they're going to do. And I think it's interesting that they think that'll affect like some guys coming up like, oh, yeah, when I was in the minors, you know, we had the big bases and now I'm here and it's fine. And I, pitch I clocks and all that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, oh, I just, do. yeah, yeah, it's, it's just the game is the game and and what will what will happen is i'll get to the big leagues and someone will say yeah hey kid that's not how it's done up here buddy sorry yep. so no you're exactly right that's a hard thing is to get those things into the big league rule books um just a couple more real quick that are going to be down in a ball uh pitchers are required to disengage from the rubber prior to throwing to any any base which whatever uh, there's going to be a step off or pickoffs per plate appearance, which I think is freaking hilarious. You can only pick over like twice during an at bat. If I'm, I'm just going to get a big league for the first two pitches. <laughs> Look at you laughing. Uh, it, get a big old lead, have two pickoffs, and then I'm just going to get in my starter block stance and be like, I'm running. <laughs> get like a 48 foot. Everybody lead. in the stadium knows you're running. I just threw over twice. Damn it, I didn't get him. So the catcher's pissed away. at you. Yeah. There he goes. 
He, oh my god, he's like, like thirty feet off the base. But what oh, am I going to do? Like, there's going to be a rule for the hitter. If you've got a guy on base that can steal, just stand there for the first two pitches, and and, and then when he picks off, just kind of then all of a sudden you're like he's coming home. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. And then uh, they're going to uh, do the automatic ball strike system in uh, I think in low A southeast. So they're going to bring in the uh, artificial computer to do balls and strikes in uh, low A. Let it be. Oh, we already talked about the balls and strikes. I mean, you know, yeah. I, I'm going to just keep using the same, you know, here's the championship game, 3-2 pitch. Strike three. Yes, we won the year. Oh, no, hold on. We're going yeah. to replay. Yep. Oh, no. Oh, no, it's outside. It's like, give me a break. Come on. All right. There are some things that just have to be. Yeah. And it's funny error. that, I mean, they're actually trying to implement these things. So it's going to be, it's crazy to me. It's, still, it's just baffling to me that they want to alter the game that much. So which one is your thing? Like you were saying, as a left-handed hitter, you didn't want the guy playing Rover. But what's one of those things? Because we're kind of laughing at them, and I just hear offense, offense, offense. But what 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 is one of the things? I, I mean, the shift thing is an interesting one. What's What are mm-hmm. one of those rules that you could see oh, the shift being one's implemented? The, most notorious. Or, the shift one is the one I get most questions about, and I think the shift one is – is what players get asked about most. And it, and it is, it goes both ways because it affects the pitcher. You know, you make a great pitch, blow a guy up and he gets jammed and nubs one down the third baseline as a left-handed hitter. It's a base hit every time. And maybe that happens with a guy in scoring position. Maybe it happens with a guy at third base where with two outs, it'd be a routine ground ball and you're out of the inning, you know? And so I think that's where the shifting, you know, may, and the hitters obviously don't want to adjust because, and people are astonished at this and I don't, I don't, and I'm talking about fans mm-hmm. and if so, be careful get, now talking about you know, fans, the GP, well, no, I'm well, the GP wants to see a good game. They want to see the ball put in play. You know, Joe Madden has even said as much that they need yeah. to see the ball in play. So they're going to deaden the ball and force it to stay in the ballpark and allow guys to maybe make the adjustment. But here's my argument. And I think the numbers and contracts actually back me up. Mm. How do you get paid in the big leagues? And there's a great story about Ricky Henderson. <laughs> Ricky Henderson came up through the, into the big leagues, you know, just a, a idyllic leadoff guy. Right. Speed, gap power, great eye, high on base percentage, beautiful, perfect guy to have in yeah. your leadoff spot. He wasn't getting the contracts he wanted back in the day, back in the 70s. So guess what? He said openly, he goes, I know that guys that hit home runs get paid. So guess what he started to do? Drop and drive, man. He started to hit home runs, started to get the contracts he wanted. The same thing holds true now. If Joey Gallo of the Texas Rangers has four outfielders, three infielders, and nobody on the left side of the field, what's Joey Gallo going to do? Is he going to bunt for the rest of the season and, and hit 350? No. Strikeout or home run. Three true outcomes. He's going to strike out or he's going to hit a bomb. And guess what? He's going to get a contract because he hits bombs. And that's what guys do. And that's that's my entire theory is slugging and production get paid. Yeah. You know what? And that's a great argument. I was going to say, you know, and you remember this because you lived out here at the time, but when the uh, before the real estate bubble burst, um, the coasts were big in market uh, in the -hmm. real estate market. Guess how many people went out and got their real estate licenses? Oh, there you go. I'm going to sell real estate, baby. Do you have a college degree? No, but man, I heard I can just go take this test and get my real estate license. And man, if I I I can, I can sell five homes in a week. I mean, look at this market. It's hot as crazy. Well, guess why that happened? Because they were getting paid. So yeah. So that, I mean, it holds true across every business spectrum. Where are the dollars? You know, I mean, we all wanted to get in on GameStop, you know, as quickly as we could (laughs) and then get out. But I mean, yeah, the almighty dollar speaks and I, I, I would wholeheartedly agree with you. I mean, it really depends on how they get paid. Now, there are some guys getting paid. Um, I guess they all get paid to hit the ball out of the ballpark. But, you know, I mean, there are guys that are specialists and there are guys that do things well mm-hmm. that don't necessarily leave the ballpark. Like maybe Ricky Anderson would get paid a little better in this day and age. But you're right. That three true outcome guy still gets paid slugging and, and power. And, you know, I mean, that's that's the name of the game. So. Uh, I guess if they deaden the ball and they and they don't allow the shift, then maybe guys will again, like you said, maybe That's a the new theory. metric will pop up. But yep, yeah, I mean, I think you you nailed nope. it. That's the theory. No, that was a great conversation, man. And uh, speaking of getting paid, 
Rumor has it that Lance McCullers Jr., pitcher for the Houston Astros, has agreed to a five-year, $85 million contract, which is about $17 million a year as far as AAV, annual average value per year. And it, it just brings up an interesting idea of, of, you know, how they look at pitchers or how they look at hitters and who do you extend, how much do you extend them for? You know, years are always a big argument in a lot of these contracts. But for Lance McCullers, I think he kind of fits into that mold that we've been talking about because I think the algorithms that are out there and the analytics and sabermetrics that teams use point out that a guy's peak is between 25 years old and 32 years old. And he fits right into that. The first year of his contract in 2022, he'll be 28 years old. And so that that is a, a, a good timing. And he had the Tommy John surgery already. So they're, they're, they're betting on the fact that he has gotten that out of the way and he will be able to go pitch. So that leads me to the next thing, age projection and durability. Projecting, Lance McCullers projects. He's got phenomenal stuff. He has the ability to adapt on the mound. And he, when he is right, he is one of the best, best pitchers in baseball. The durability is the only question for me with Lance McCullers, because I think in 2017 or 2015, between uh, minor leagues, when he got called up and the postseason, he threw a total of 164 innings. That's how that's the max amount of innings he's thrown in a season. And we all know the bar right now is 200 innings to be an elite ace type guy. Maybe Lance works into that guy, but that's yet to be seen. That's the only question mark I have is the durability for Lance McCullers. But it brings up an interesting uh, uh, fact about the Astros is that in 2022, right now, it will be McCullers, Odorizzi, uh, Valdez, Urquidy. There's four legitimate starters in your rotation. So that's a beautiful thing. 2023, and you take it a little bit farther, uh, you're going to have McCullers, Valdez, Urquidy, Luis Garcia, Christian Javier, maybe, maybe a force Whitley in 2023. But it actually solidifies your the top two top three or four guys in your rotation for the Astros until maybe 2025, which is kind of an appealing thing in keeping Lance McCullers. I just wanted to know if you had any thoughts on Lance going out there and getting that contract. Yeah. You know, I mean, <clears throat> I think sometimes longevity, right? Like persistence helps. And I think the fact that he had Tommy John uh, two years ago, was it two years ago? When yeah, it was 2019. Yeah. So two years ago. Um, helps actually his durability because I think the algorithm now is that, Hey, in the old days, Tommy John or, you know, ACL blowout 20 years ago, 25 years Excellent ago, it point. meant that, yeah, they were done right now. It's like, Hey, they, they fixed that thing with a stronger ligament and they're coming in and looking good. Um, you know, and I think again, I, maybe he does grow into that ACE, as you mentioned, that 200 inning threshold. There are some guys that have met that threshold and those are the guys we know about the ones and the twos, but just from a purely like not an Astros homer, not even getting into the statistics, which you've known, I've been known not to do is get into the, the weeds <laughs> on things is, um, is, you know, I, I view McCullers as like a three anyway, like a, a number three starter. And maybe that's just because of where Verlander mm -hmm. and Cole were there. And then he was behind them. And maybe on this team, he's a one or a two, but if he's your playoff guy, he's probably more like a two or a three anyway. Like if, you know, they, the yeah. scouts always look like, is this guy a, you know, a 50, right? Is he a five, mm -hmm. a five, a five, you know, eh, so he's true. not, he's got a four and he's got a five. I, I view him as like, he would be a, he's a good clubhouse guy. Um, he's got great stuff, as you said, and you can depend on him um, to throw well in a big game when it means mm -hmm. something. But, you know, I don't know if he's your frontline ace number one guy, but That's a thought. there's nothing wrong with that. His contract kind of, I think, stipulates that. Like if he give you, gave you 185 innings as your number three starter and put up a three and a half ERA, I think mm -hmm. he's worth every penny. And I think if he exceeds that, then good on you. And if he doesn't, then... Like you said, the risk is there in that, um, you know, I don't know what they project the ceiling to be, but he didn't get like top, top dollar. And so I think to yeah. your point, I think he's probably more of a, like a three starter anyway, number three starter. Yeah. And I mean, that's going to play out, but I think, you know, your point about the Tommy John, even, you know, I just said he got it out of the way, but you're right. Guys do actually rehab from that so well that I think they do come back stronger. And that's part of the appeal and goes into the equation when you're adding all these numbers in and then the age on top of it too. He had it at his 27 year or 26 year old year, as opposed to Justin Verlander, who does it at 35, 36 years old. 
Um, another interesting point about this contract is, is that at the end of 2021, uh, going into the 2022 season for the Astros, they're going to erase $57 million when Justin Verlander and Zach Granke come off the books. So that that's another thing that allows you for the opportunity to, to sign a guy like Lance McCullers and have him be your guy for five more years at a reasonable price and you're not going to crush your payroll. Uh, I also think, and just keep this in the back of your mind, Verlander's coming off Tommy John. Rehab seems to be going well, and he has a relationship with the Astros. He likes it here. He likes Jim Crane. And, uh, you know, don't be surprised if they – this might be my bold prediction – don't be surprised if the Astros give him a qualifying offer at the end of the season. Last year, it was $18.9 million for one year. And that might be kind of appealing for a guy like uh, Justin Verlander, who's trying to prove to everybody that he is healthy and able to pitch again. So it might be an opportunity for the Astros to, to you know, capitalize on an opportunity with a Hall of Fame type pitcher. And it's an opportunity for Verlander to prove himself, too. Yeah. And that's not chump change. I mean, obviously Verlander and his wife don't need a whole lot of money. And so I think it's a really mm-hmm. nice, like you said, great, this could be a, a good marriage. And today, if you're going to get, I'm just, just opinions, baby, just opinions, you know, 18 to $20 million to kind of where you're, where you don't have the burden of like, you know, if he decides to sign like a two-year deal with the Yankees or something and be with Garrett Cole there, there's a lot of pressure that goes on with that. And coming back, as you know, from an injury, a lot of injury stuff is mental. And so I, you know, I mean, if you needed the money and, you know, you were living above your means, you know, we see this in the NBA with Durant and, uh, and LeBron and these guys that kind of, they kind of do contracts year to year. I don't think there would be anything, uh, out of the realm, um, or like, I like the comparison, your point, your prediction. I don't think it's crazy that Verlander would sign an 18 to $20 million deal to come back and see how his arms feeling kind of lead this young Astros team into the next, uh, you know, next phase of what they're doing. So I think that's a, a strong prediction. And I think there's some, you know, some foundation to it. Yeah. I like it. It would, like you said, it would enhance the Astros opportunities. And uh, with that much money coming off the books for the Astros in 2022, it lends itself to the next conversation and the expectation of signing Carlos Correa to a long-term deal. The interesting thing about him is, is that he is coming into a free agent market at the end of 2021 that includes Francisco Lindor, an all-star shortstop, Trevor Story, an uh, an all-star MVP vote-getter in Colorado, and uh, Corey Seager, who is an all-star World Series winning uh, shortstop for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And rumor has it that Lindor is asking for upwards of 300 million. And the only reason I think he's asking for that kind of money is because of the years. And I think that's the issue with all of those guys I named off with Story, Seager, uh, Correa, Lindor, is it's the amount of time on the contract. That's going to be the biggest issue for all of those guys. And I want Astro fans and baseball fans all over who listen to this podcast to understand the years are the issue. It's not necessarily the annual, you know, annual value of the contract. It's the amount of time that you have these guys, because you're going to have a guy in Carlos Correa who will be 26, I believe in 2021. And granted he, I'm looking at his numbers right now, his 162 game average is 29 home runs and 106 RBIs. That that's that's big money. <laughs> you you got to be prepared for that if you're an owner. But at the same time, at 26 this year, he'll be 27 next year. That takes you from 27 to 37, and kind of takes you, you know, maybe if you're on that 25 to 32 year age range, it takes you five years past that optimal time at 32 years old. So that's the biggest decision for me is the, it's the amount of time on the contract. Yeah, well, we've seen that with uh, with Pujols, Albert Pujols out here, right? I mean, I think Robinson they knew that Cano, when they Albert Pujols, yeah. you know, Mike Hampton yeah. back in the day. I mean, they're you're exactly right, and that's the example yeah. they use. Yeah, and these and the, I mean, it's a lot of money to have outside of those years, and maybe those guys have earned it. You know, Pujols was. I mean, it's funny how you just kind of he just becomes an afterthought, but you know, when before he left St. Louis, he was on a Hall of Fame trajectory, and maybe he still gets into the Hall of Fame with his numbers and his longevity. But man, he's been the quietest signing out here. I remember when he when he signed, mm-hmm. and I know he has a deal we've talked about before where you know Artie Marino is going to keep him on as an ambassador yep. or whatever. Great, but guess what? I mean, he's not even a good ambassador as a player out here. I mean, nobody ever sees him or hears from him or, you know what I mean? Like really? he's not, 
in my yeah. opinion. I mean, I just, you know, he's not no, like your, this integrated. Your like, valid. You watch games, you read the paper. I mean, he's not able, I mean, I'm just saying, you're, 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 you're 40 teammate. minutes away from the stadium. You know what's going on. Don't sell yourself yeah. short. Well, they just don't, you know, they obviously talk about Trout, who is also underrated in that same realm. And I'm sure Trout would say oh, good things about that. Albert Pujols. I'm sure he's a good teammate and I'm sure he's a good clubhouse guy. I'm just saying he's not some ambassador for the Anaheim Angels here in Southern California. You know, I mean, he doesn't have his That's a claws. Point. He's not entrenched in here. So I think when you're getting a guy like that, like, um, you know, like, uh, I don't know, like any of these guys, I mean, like Trout is part of the Southern California community. I mean, now the Dodgers, cause they won the world series, you know, but all those guys are almost like celebrities like Turner and, um, you know, you have Justin Turner and you have, uh, even Dave Roberts himself and, and, you know, Seager, you already brought up and Mookie Betts, like these guys are household mm -hmm. names and they're going to be around. Um, the Anaheim angels are definitely, as you know, the Los Angeles angels of Anaheim or whatever they're called <laughs> the, uh, the, from the San Fernando Valley or the, you know, the orange County, I don't know. At the base of San Diego. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There you go. So, but you know, so they are always playing second fiddle, but they're just not entrenched. And they're not, uh, they don't have those household names. When you're signing guys like that, like you mentioned, you know, uh, like a Verlander would be a good thing, but Carlos Correa, he's entrenched in Houston and you add him with Altuve and that's a huge and, factor. You know, somebody, yeah. Some of these guys, it's, it, they're good public people in the city of Houston. And it's mm -hmm. like disheartening, like Tony Gwynn, right? Tony Gwynn was San Diego. Oh, man, that's the perfect example. Yeah. And he took a hometown discount to stay. I'm not suggesting these guys take a hometown discount, but you know, let Lindor get 300 million and you take 200 million for your prime time and be good. You know, I mean, yeah. that, that could be an option. So anyway. no, I think that you kind of hit on something I actually wrote down to kind of finish off this entire situation is that the, you know, that hometown discount, everything that Carlos Correa said, I want to be an Astro for life. So he's mm -hmm. saying all the right things. And to your point, he is very charitable within the community. They love him. He's around, he's seen, and he, the Astros are going to use that. They're going to say, they're going to test that, uh, that loyalty of Carlos Correa to stay in Houston. And I think a lot of it has to do with what you're saying that home, you call it a home down discount, but at the same time, if you leave the state of Houston, there's only a handful of other States where you can go play without a state tax. So that's also an appealing yeah. thing that maybe, the, money, the, the big number may be a little bit less, but at the same time, it will be a very similar contract to somebody who gets $300 million yeah. in in New York. Well, I always think about it from the perspective. I keep bringing up uh, the car situation, Derek Carr's contract. I love if somebody did <laughs> yeah. it, uh, the numbers of when he signed his deal in, uh, in Oakland. Um, and then they moved to Las Vegas, like the amount of money that for the first two years, that contract versus the next three being mm -hmm. a Nevada resident. And I think to your point, like that's, that always comes down to it, right? Your agent and your, you know, probably your handlers and people like that will be crunching those numbers extensively to see, like you said, what, what is the best thing for me? Not just, you know, personally and professionally, but certainly financially. Yep. And that's going to pretty much close it out for what we've got on the uh, Astro baseball side. I'm going to leave it up to you. Tuttle, you got yeah. the shirt on. What does Tuttle say, man? Yeah, what will Tuttle say? I have a really interesting, and it's more of a question for you today, Blummer. I read a fantastic article. I meant to forward it to you, but I always like to catch you off guard with some of this stuff. Um, uh, from uh, The Ringer, which is uh, uh, Simmons, yeah. Bill Simmons' podcast network, there was an article from uh, Ben Lindbergh, and maybe you read it, called the, uh, it was like the quest for the perfect pitching machine. And they mentioned the two technologies. The, um, there's three companies working on this right now. One's called Traject. One's called Windmill, W-I-N, Mill, M-I-L-L, -L, and Kensrud. And they're designed, one of them, like, I mean, there's another advanced machine made in uh, Japan, Komatsu University called Sh Shinobo Sukai, and it's on this thing. But basically, wow. they're trying to create the perfect pitching machine. And I will tell you, in this quote, it says, you know, they're hiring guys like myself who didn't make it, you know, like, hey, could you mm -hmm. come throw a live EP and just air it out? Like, that's what teams have been doing. But basically, the Mariners, um, uh, Hannigan, was saying that you can have these, where is Mitch Hannigan's quote? Uh, Mitch Hanniger? Um, Mitch Hanniger, I'm so sorry. Yep. No, no worries. Yeah, there's. So Mariners Hanniger said earlier this month on an episode of Fangraphs Audio, the more you see a guy, usually the better your eyes will be um, against him. You know how his pitches move. I feel like your brain's like a computer, so it's picking up on things even subconsciously. 
And so these guys, this Barton Smith guy is a professor of aerospace engineering. I love this stuff. So he's a mechanical and aerospace engineer. But basically what they're in, you know, you guys can read the article. We can put it in the show notes or whatever. But basically you can come in and this is similar to football where they go, yeah, I just want to watch yesterday's game. They're creating a pitching machine that will that'll reenact the game from the night before. Wow. So yeah. So you can go, yeah, well, I struggled against, you know, Verlander today and, you know, he wow. was throwing 96, 97. So it'll go 96, 97, then it'll start a slider. Then it'll go change up. It'll, it'll, it, it mimics what you saw. Yeah. It's going to be a pitching machine. That's basically tied to the computer. What? So again, this is what I'll Tuttle say. I read the article. I was fascinated. I mean, there is some, you know, that's detail deep. involved, but what, what do you think that would do similar to what Hanniger said? Did I get it right, Hannigan or Hanniger? Yeah, Hanniger. Oh, Hanniger. Um, I mean, what would that do for you? I mean, that's an intense, like you can't do that every day. Some days you just want 82 miles an hour and just get a feel for the ball. I just, <laughs> I mean, have you heard of this technology? And then what no. do you think you, how do you, how would you utilize that? How will hitters utilize that? And what do you think that would mean for the game of baseball? I think it would be, yeah, I think it would be a distinct advantage to be able to actually simulate or actually on a video board, if you can get the wind up, the timing, the rhythm of a pitcher, and then have the ball come out at the same time and have the same, create the same movement. Good Lord. I feel like that would be a major advantage to be able to go underneath the tunnel before the game and click on a computer and say, I'm going to face, or how about if you're a pinch hitter and you know, you got to go out there and face Craig Kimbrell at the end of the game. And you can go out there and reenact at bats that you've had against this guy. I think oh, yeah. they would that would that would get that would put my mind at ease because that, I've and seen I think him. that's what that's what Hanniger was saying, right? Like your mind's like a computer, and you wouldn't have this like the stress <clears throat> level wouldn't necessarily be yeah. high, and it puts a lot of pressure on the pitcher to be different and better than they mm -hmm. were the last time. Because if they start pitching in a pattern, let me just read one quote and then. I will get it back to you because I think you're right. Guys like that, Kimbrel, I think the closers that have the de deadly stuff. Um, this mechanical aerospace engineering guy from Utah State. Wow. Why is it the third time through the order, everybody starts to suck? I think a lot of it's because the hitters start to see the ball. They see the pattern better. And that's pretty unique to each pitcher. And I'm sure that they have to recalibrate every day with a pitching machine that could accurately replicate pitch data on an individual level. He adds, hitters might be able to bypass part of the in-game learning curve, which would be especially beneficial in an era when teams are pulling pitchers earlier to maximize the familiarity effect. Now you're going to have to face a pitcher and you've got his book and you could totally match what they're going to do to you. And you could hit them like that in the first inning. If companies can offer that capability, a hitter could visit an indoor cage during a game and tune up against the same stuff a pitcher threw on the nastiest day right before facing him for real. That, that summed it up. What the? Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, that, that's insane. I don't, yeah. I, 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 my mean, stuff that, wasn't even that nasty. Like, you know, I, my, I had to use the trickery, right? I had to be right? like, hey, I'm going to drop my arm angle. I'm going to do this. I'm going to really sink it today. Like, Holy I mean, crap. I just, anyway, so that's where the, that's where, yeah. I mean, this is more it's of a, AI. like, you said it. it's, it's artificial yeah. intelligence to make you a better, but I mean, Good yeah. Lord. I mean, I think I, yeah. that's a distinct advantage for the hitter, you know? Yeah. That's mind blowing. If you're able to like legit replicate, yeah. I mean, it's one thing to replicate the movement, but some guys have a funky delivery. Cause I know, yeah. you know, I had a toe tap early in my career and there were guys out of the windup that would slide step. I mean, out of the uh, uh, set position with guys on base, they'd slide step and I'd be a half an hour late because I couldn't get my, yeah. my, my load ready. So if I was able to just watch video and, and time that up, I'm only going to be a better hitter. I, th I, I think that's a very distinct yeah. and unfair advantage for the hitter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and just to give you an idea of what I would, uh, there was a pitching machine, you know, this iron Mike. Oh yeah. And it was, and it was just this big blue box. It was massive hunk of machinery and it had a spring in it. that was like, you know, the size of our torsos that kind of like unwound and then fired that machine through, but it, it was the yeah. only machine, make sure I don't knock anything over in there. Yeah, don't knock anything over. The only machine that had, that, that had that arm swing. So That's you right. could time it. And this thing would come around and, and every time just pump a baseball like an arm swing. And that's why they called it Iron Mike, because it just had this yeah. continuous rhythm yeah. to it that you could time up. So if I was facing a guy that was throwing, you know, 97, 
I would get closer to Iron Mike and try and speed yeah. the baseball up. Or if I was facing a yeah. guy that had a good changeup against me, I'd scoot further back and force myself to see the ball longer. That's the only chance I had. Uh, but there were some distinct advantages I had when I played with uh, San Diego. We had a, a BP thrower in the, in the uh, tunnel during the game. So I could go up there and I'd be like, all right, hey, you know, Ronnie, throw it as hard as you possibly can. Give me five pitches as hard as you possibly can. I'd be 15 feet away from this dude trying to time yeah. it up. And I'd be like, okay, try and snap one off. You know I mean? All of a sudden you're like, that was how we did it. But I, th yeah. that's insane. Yeah. And there's a ton of companies working on it. So anyway, that's, that's really what will Tuttle say for the day. But I, I think, you know, we can probably bring that topic back a few times as this becomes another yeah. part of the game. That's and, fascinating. Uh, and Technology is crazy. I mean, it is crazy. And, and, you know, I guess to finish it, Neil deGrasse Tyson said this before is a lot of people have been, he's an aerospace engineer or a, a expert physicist, a astrophysics professor. Yeah. I, I mean, people know who he is because he's a celebrity, but he's uh, a lot of people like NASA, what a waste of time. You know, we landed on the moon in 1969 and now he's like most of the things that are put into society these days, these kind of new inventions, whether it be a cell phone or a lithium ion battery or things like that come from NASA. They come from these aerospace mechanical engineers. And I, I think that's what rang true to me here is this guy's a Utah state mechanical aerospace engineer, and he's in there working on how to simulate pitching, you know, yeah. to the, to the maximize the potential of us guys. So anyway, yeah. that's all I got. From that Tuttle say. I think it's fascinating. That's right. Yeah. Okay. We're going to work on this today. Anyway, but you know, that's where the money is again. I mean, major league baseball teams will pay for that, dude. I mean, if you have the Harvard guys like, you know, running the front office, then Hey, they're going to head over to traject or windmill. Rackman's still making $20,000 a pop on their thing for golf. I mean, cause nobody's gotten technology better than that. So that's exactly kind of like a similar route. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so that's all I got. What do we got for Blum's Blast? You said you got a couple things, and then we got to wrap this baby up. Two things. I got, oh, I got two things. They're going to be quick. I was reading, I was thumbing through Twitter as I was having my coffee this morning, and I think it was CBS Baseball. I don't know who the analyst was, but predict, predicting bold bounce back seasons in 2022 for Christian Yelich and Bryce Harper. Are you freaking kidding me? I mean, good. That's like betting on Gonzaga to win the, the March Madness like I did. I mean, that, is that really a bold prediction on bounce back to I mean, perennial MVP vote getters? Oh, they sucked in a 60 game season. I hope they bounce back in 2022. So that just made me laugh. OK. And by the way, we are all bouncing back from 2020. OK, that, that's what we are going to do in 2021 is bounce back somehow. Uh, so that made me laugh. That would just kind of gave me a giggle. Um, you know, it's like saying, you know, Alex Bregman's going to have a bounce back season. Good God. Of course he is, man. That was the guy that came to mind. He had 247 with six home runs <laughs> last year and he was hurt half the year. Like, what did he play? 40 games? Like, anyway, that's just funny. Yeah. So that made me laugh. The other thing is, damn it, people, if you drive a car, turn your effing phone off. Put it down. If you're at a stoplight, pick it up, check your text, whatever you need to do. But if the car is in actual motion, Put the freaking phone down. I've had several instances in the last week alone where I'm watching some car just drive by, you know, drive by Braille going up against the left. Do, 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 and then to the right. Do, 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 do. Well, th it's noon. If you're drunk at noon, you shouldn't be in a car. Go ahead and hit, hit the bar and get it. Yeah. And of course, I'm like, man, I got to get around this guy. And they're doing, you know, the speed limit or below the speed limit because they're not focusing on driving. And I drive by. And sure enough, I see, a, a, you know, the phone up to the ear. I see the people with, the, you know, the phone on the steering wheel, you know, trying to do it. And I'm like, burp, burp. I'm like, I give it like the hang up the phone signal to them. And they're, ah. and I guess, guess what I get in return? I get the, man, what are you talking about? What's your problem, man? What you? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, you, you just compound the fact that you're the biggest jack wagon in the world. So stay off the phone when the car is in motion, please. That's all I'm asking. This and sounds like Waddle Tuttle say. I'm call you I out. think that's yeah. That's been the topic right. of more than more than one Waddle Tuttle say. I can't stand it. I'm with you, brother. I I, uh, I mean, but it leads into the, the fact that moving. you hate it when they're at the light and they don't pay attention to the light. Yeah, but it's the same as moving. I mean, I've seen it today. Yeah. I saw it yesterday. So they're going like 70, and you're like right behind them. All of a sudden, they slow down to 60, and then they're like yes. leaving, and you're like, what's happening? So you go to pass them, and you go past them, and they're doing the. Yes. They're doing the like this. This is what you see, right? You see the 
Yeah, the, like, the occasional glance at the road. <laughs> yeah, like get off the phone. It's not that important. And you know, it's some, I mean, it's usually like a 25, like they're on their way to class at school. It's not like they're like saving <laughs> lives. And it's not like, you know, they're not an ER physician yeah, getting a the face ER doctor, call. Yeah. It's like, what do we do? This is bleeding. It's an artery. Like, okay, mm -hmm. like, hold on. Like, that's not what's happening. Oh. So I, I, I would agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean, there are just times where you don't need the phone. Besides, when you're in your car, it's so nice to have peace and quiet. Like, I don't mean being on the phone, like talking to someone, because it's a great you're, time. You're speaking to, like a father you know, of multiples. Dude, I mean, just yeah, that's cause they'll I pick too. it up. My daughter came home from soccer practice last night, and um, we're sitting at the counter. I ate with her and the other folks ate earlier and the you know we're like eating and she like pulls out her phone like right away i'm like hey hey me and you like we're sitting there eating dinner so like you said get off while you're you. uh while you're driving so that's all i got yeah. i snap yeah great all right so let's uh shout out to first responders military uh the vaccinators now the healthcare workers we are getting further and further along I think we keep moving up tiers now is it up tiers or down tiers i always forget that but we're that's getting less because you're right yeah. You're exactly right. The tears are moving, but I don't know which direction. It's a good thing, though. Yeah. yeah, it is a good thing. Well, people used to say this about the totem pole. I always say I'm lowest on the totem pole in my house. And then somebody pointed out to me that if I was uh, very uh, in tune to Native American culture, that the lower on the totem pole you are, the more important you are, the higher, the less important. So, you know, it's an inverse yeah. relationship. I am the least important on that totem pole. I don't know where that is. And I would say the same <laughs> with the tears, right? Like, yeah. you know, once you have kids and a pet, it's like, where does your, oh, man. where do you fall in the hierarchy of your house? Like, so true. <laughs> oh man, that's so true. <laughs> anyway, so that, I digress. So anyway, the healthcare workers, <laughs> military first responders, still very important to us. Um, and uh, we want to give you guys a shout out. Everything you're doing has gotten us to where we are at this point. And, um, and that's it for the podcast for the weekend. As Blummer pointed out, next week at this time when we're recording, opening day of baseball. Blummer, what do you got? Hey, until opening day, get after it, believe it, 